This week's episode is brought to you by The Plague. If you have this sickness that's going around the whole of North America right now, I am terribly sorry. But maybe we can get mad about hockey for a while and take your mind off of it, though. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, I'm Seth, and you're locked into Burning Radio for December 31st, 2018. Coming up on the show, we took a week off and missed almost nothing good as the Avalanche had a major skid. We'll talk about why that is, plus the struggles of two abs in particular after we play the Wolves. But before we can do that, you need to know who you're hearing from this week. To my east, as always, we have Earl. Hi, Earl. Hello, friends. And to my west, as usual, we have Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hello. Colorado have had six games since you last heard from us, and only won one of them. We went into the month of December begging the Avs to bank some points against lesser teams at home, and out of a possible 26 points this month, they have taken home 10. Not great, Bob. They're on a four-game skid, including a 2-1 goaltending defeat to the Blackhawks, a wild 6-4 loss in the desert to Arizona, a 2-1 loss to Vegas, and a 3-2 overtime loss to Chicago again. The last two were this week. Your Avalanche goal scorers this week were JT Comfer on the power play, Miko Ranson on the power play, and Nathan McKinnon on a delayed call with a sixth skater. If you were counting, that's zero even-strength goals since Christmas. And in the last three games, the fewest shots and goal they've allowed, 37. They've also lost forward Cullen Wilson and defender Nikita Zadorov to injury during this stretch. Not great, Bob. So instead of the huge breakdown of each game, because there have been six of them and they all have similar themes, let's just zoom out from the top. Uh, starting with the topic on everybody's mind. What in the hell was JB thinking breaking up the top line? It, lo- it lasted one period, which was full chaos. And so being a coach, he made it, you know, stop. But... Now, today at practice, we're back with Jost on the top line. What's 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 the deal here? Or it could that be because Nieto had maintenance? So I don't know if they necessarily intend on putting Jost up there. But anyway. The point is it wasn't Landeskog. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I I think the, the, the whole deal here is that they're looking to get uh, a solid second scoring line. They want Kerfoot and Comfort to be part of that, and they don't know what's behind door number three at this point. And <clears throat> they, you know, they need to get Kerfoot and Comfort to the point where they could, pro- you know, they could maybe carry a third guy, whoever that may be. And they started out with Landy yesterday. It only lasted a period in one shift. Um. I liked it. I don't think it would. I, I think obviously the the first shift was kind of bad with Kerfoot taking the slashing penalty on Kane. But um, you know, if you stick with it for more than twenty minutes, it, it might pay off. I guess. I don't mind it in theory. It's there's a lot of things that go into it. It's the lines have looked a bit stale, even the top line. I think a lot of their scoring the last couple games have been on the power play. So I think it's something that should be kind of a permanent thing as long as all those guys are on the team, but you have to be able to change and adapt and try different things and try to get a spark and get a different look and 
give the other team something to think about. So I don't mind it in principle. It's just the execution of only doing it for half, like half a period to. Yeah, it lasted about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. And yeah, I, it's I, like I, then they were down, as, and so. Well, I mean, they were tied. It's not even like the. Uh... It's not even like the coaches stopped it because it was going poorly. I think the coaches stopped it because right. they were playing a brand of hockey that coaches hate, which is everyone gets lots of shots. Well, in the moment, it happens a lot. Like, this is going to be something that we're going to get into later, but it, when you're down, when you need a goal, because they did fall down two to nothing, is you want to play your best players. And you're going to put your best players on the ice. And the best thing to do that is put, them, put the line back together and play them. And so I get that. I get that in the moment, it's, it's critical. You want the talent, the guys that are getting paid, the guys that you rely on on the ice. But it's, it's more than just like a kind of an emergency or critical situation. This is something that's gone on this whole month. And so, yeah, so changing the lines to only change them back is just such a cosmetic thing. It's like either you're going to commit to trying something different or you're not. And then my other issue with it is if you're going to break up the lines and you're going to break up the top line, one of two things, you need to have a real second line. One of two things needs to happen. Either you need to put Soderberg there and try him as a real second line scoring center with whatever two wings you you want to try with them. Or you need to put Miko on that line and see if he can drive a line by himself and create a second scoring line out of that at the time. So it would be nice to know that in a game or in a situation that you could drop Miko down with two other players and have kind of like that one-two punch, which I think could be very effective, especially if you can use it situationally, because that could be very hard to defend because then you'd have to choose between McKinnon and Rantanen. This whole, like, put Nieto up there and just have three other tepid lines is pretty meaningless. Well, I mean, all right, Say they did that, you know, say it was Gabe, Mac, and let's say Comfort for the sake of argument on the top line, and then Miko, Kerfoot, and who on the second? I mean, would you would you put Soderberg there? I mean, what happens to the bottom not the bottom six then? Sure, you could try anything. I mean, yeah. You try Soderberg, Miko, and whoever you want on the left side. The, well, I'm, the I'm saying, I, I mean, I think they want Kerfoot and Comfer to be part of the top six. And, I, you know, I, we know that they don't want to break up the, the veteran line. Well, <clears> that's, <throat> part of, that's part of the problem. Like, if, if you make Soderbergh, like, the scoring second-line center, then I think Comfer could at least be a third-line center for a dependable line. If you so want to yeah. keep Nieto and Calvert there with Comfort or something like that, I think it's workable. I mean, I'd, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not disparaging JT Comfort here, but I just, you know, Nieto, Comfort, Calvert sounds like a disaster to me in most zones. Most zones. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's pretty much a disaster the way it is now. 
Right. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would, would be in agreement with the idea of playing Carl on the second line. Like, I, you're not going to come across a whole lot of disagreement to that idea. Um, the I, think, I mean, I think if you do that, I think Jackie's right. I think you have to do it with Miko. I mean, it's like you, you go with Gabe, Mac, and somebody, and Carl, Miko, and somebody. You know, and, and, and those somebodies are probably Kerfoot and Comfer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you if you want to keep sort of the the pace that everyone's used to, but I guess you know it's like you could go with Nieto perhaps. Um, you know, on the on the second line. Um, it's also crutch this like insistence to have a veteran or a trustworthy line because I think Dario had a really good point that they're putting the top line against the other players' top lines. Like the the Avs don't put their. <laughs> Like they don't have Bergeron. They they don't have like this shutdown line that you can that you're using to counter the other team's top line. They're using their top line to counter the other team's top line. Yeah, but there's a second line to counter too. And that's why you need like a real second line. Right. But that's what they use Carl they use that line defensively. And then they use, you know, they they try to get better matchups for the Kerfoot, Comfer, whoever line. But if you use that line as like a second line, a real one, they can defend and score. Then you're just talking about a third and a fourth line, which I think they need to get back to having more of more of these set lines. Like what they have now is a top line. They have a quote-unquote dependable line which they use as a second line but it's really a third line and then they have a second line and a fourth line which is basically the same thing with rotating cast of players it's just a matter of which one plays more than the other well they actually didn't use the carl line as much against chicago i haven't been looking at like ice time and stuff a whole lot lately but uh i noticed that matt calvert was pretty low on the on the ice time list and uh after two, Carl wasn't too far behind him. So, like, yeah, Comfort, Comfort, and Carl get the most ice time outside of the top line, and whoever whoever the the sixth guy is is usually a rotating cast of either Kerfoot, Jost, or Nieto. Um, rarely, it's Calvert. <clears throat> you know, if it's Calvert, it's generally a night where there's a lot of penalty kill or something like that. Right, but they they really have been trying to use Kerfoot and Comfer, you know, is second most ice time lately. I mean that that's been a, a theme for about the last couple of weeks, which is better uh, than I, sixteen Calvert minutes. Then I don't yeah. understand why Comfer at least can't play with Soderberg. Like I agree, Comfer's probably not ready to carry a line, but I mean, if we're talking about a third line, I. I don't know how much carrying you need to do if it's like a true third line but at the very least they should be trying to play him with Soderbergh in that kind of role because or else you basically then just have like five or six of the same guy if you can't you if you can't start moving him into that kind of role where he can play what Calvert and what Nieto do then why do you have him I think they want to use him offensively but it, it if you're using him with Soderberg and he does have some offense, then you're making that line better. Yeah, but they don't want to tie him down to defensive zone starts and all that. They want to start him in the offensive zone. And but if he's good enough for that, like, 
like somebody needs to do that. You need to have more than like fourth liners that you say can only start in the defensive zone. Like you can't have it all, right? Like we need roles for these guys. If we're going to move forward with Jost and Kerfoot and Comfer and whoever else, they're going to need like an actual role at some point, uh-huh. not just like put them all together on a line and hope stuff happens. Well, well I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree because, you know, it, it, what keeps happening, it's it's just sort of a, a, a vicious circle where they keep mixing up, you know, what we're calling the second and fourth line personnel. You know, in, in right now, they want Kerfoot and Comfort on to, to get the most minutes out of that bunch. But, you know, they keep trying the same guys. Try Sven there. Oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't work there. They put Joe's there. Oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't work there either. And... You know, it, it's frustrating to watch because, you know, it's one thing to, you know, want to improve your team that way, but you've got options that you refuse to use. And actually, moving Matt Nieto off of the Soderberg line, it, I mean, it's a pretty big deal because I know that he really doesn't want to do that. I mean, I know he really wants to keep those three guys together, but. You know, he's moved Nieto off to, to help out Kamenev earlier in the season, and, you know, that was successful. You know, so he, he was willing to do that, and he, I guess Dreis is not that bad there. I mean, that line was okay with him there last night. So it's like you can't break those guys up and still have, you know, the, the dynamic of them being able to, you know, shut down if that's what, what you want to call it. So the, the thing you're doing I, with I, either I, Calvert or Bork, like they haven't well, gotten off that. I mean, what I'm what I'm saying here is like, you know, he he's doing it halfway. You know, yeah. if if the the next level of progression is is actually taking Carl Soderberg and you know making a real second line like we've been talking about, and the sooner he realizes that you're gonna have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and put Carl Soderberg as a second line scoring and defending center to use that to get the team out of a, a 13 game slump. I mean, you, you just, I, I don't know what you're waiting for. That's the next logical step. So. Yeah. And um, I think that's how we all feel is like, just try it. Yeah. If, if it doesn't I mean, work, what have you got to lose? Fine. I'm another game. I mean, you're, you're probably <laughs> going to lose anyway. <laughs> if you're willing to try Matt Nieto on the top line, which I get it. We had this conversation on the discord. If you don't want to break up Kerfoot and Comfort, then Nieto is the next logical choice for the top line. I get it. Right. But if but Matt Nieto's not a top line player in the National Hockey League. If you're willing to try that, how are you not willing to try Carl on the second? Right. Right. And I think we all just would like to see them try it. And if yeah. it doesn't work, then fine. But give give and, it a real they, try. I mean they're they're really getting to the point where they have nothing to lose by doing something, you know, as drastic as it would probably seems to to coach Bednar. And I would like to see them try that before they go out and get a rental, use assets to get to basically have the same answer they would have if they would just try it internally first. Well, the injuries to Kamenev and Wilson aren't helping with with the with the forward shuffles, but I don't think having those two players back would necessarily fix it either. Um, right, like like missing them and missing Zadorov and not having Barbario available. These are NHL players. 
But if they're having this much of like a lineup crisis when you're not missing a really important piece, that's a big problem. Like if you can't overcome on having Wilson and Zadorov, <laughs> then and you've you've set up a pretty faulty house of cards. I don't know. I think yeah, Zadorov's I mean, a lot more important than uh, than we've really realized. I think he's by a lot the Avs' best defender at preventing zone entries against um partially by his ability to lay that hit at the blue line and partially by just the threat of doing so because opponents would rather just dump it around him than try to skate around him because they know that they're going to meet the ass of doom if they try it um but with Sidorov out ryan graves came up this week and has played fine actually weird yeah uh you know good for him it's you know, it's it's something that we saw. They they went through the progression of trying Mark Alt. Oh, that was no good. All right, Mark Alt goes down. Call up Anton Lindholm. We even worse. And you know, then they finally get around to Ryan Graves. And and you know, it's for those of us that watch the Eagles a lot. You, you kind of look at Graves and Malosh, and <clears throat> you know, at, at times Mason Gertzen is probably the the more dependable of the defensive guys down there so you know they, they, it took them a little while to get through those guys but you know i, I had a feeling if they called graves up he, he would show better than the first two and then lo and behold he did i think it also helps that he he's maybe the best replacement for zadorov at least especially between the three he's he can do some of the same things he can hit he can he can deny those zone entries he he does have a, a bigger shot from the point. You you can kind of see the the resemblance at least. It's he's someone that can fit into that role better. I think yeah. in theory Lindholm matches Zadorov's style a little bit better, but he was just such a turd out there. It was just so bad. Yeah. Watching him get walked twice in fifteen minutes in the first period against Chicago was just like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Next defender, please. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I don't know, you know, we, we still don't know the reasons why, you know, the progression started. I mean, I guess, you know, Alt's the captain, and I don't have a problem, like, calling him up first and giving him a couple games, you know. I mean, that's that's something nice to do for your captain and whatever, but, you know, it, I, I think you probably should have abandoned that a little bit quicker, but it is what it is. Well, um, he sat around as, like, the healthy extra when they were yeah. on the road. And then once they came home, they decided they didn't need any healthy extra. So, yeah. you know, was he the guy, the right guy to have to sit around? I I don't know. I mean, you're basically picking who you don't want to play. <laughs> Which would be Lindholm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because <clears throat> he's, he's the one you probably wouldn't even want to see with the Eagles. Even though him and Davis somehow have some sort of decent-ish match. But... I think that speaks to Davis more than him, but yeah. <laughs> um, but but re regardless, they they finally brought up a guy that actually works. So I mean, it, it restores our faith in you know the the system actually having some content in it that we want to see. Um, and, and that you know, and that's great to know because you know I, I think anyone that watches the Eagles games would look at it. At Alton Malo, uh, sorry, at, at uh, Graves and Malosh together is 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 being first of all a good fit, but they also, 
you know, they're, they're around the same level of competency and, and they have different styles. So it's not like they do the same things, but you know, you're looking at them like, okay, you know, we can use these guys as a first pair in the AHL and they do well. So if, if Graves works out, maybe that restores their faith and, in, in, you know, not only Malosh, but, you know, maybe, you know, some, some of the other guys being worth looking at down there as well. I, I wish I got to that, that point. I, I'm not quite there yet. I mean, the Malosh I think the thing experience, is... The experience is killing Malosh here, I think. They're... I mean, he has enough experience. He Relative not to his fear. <laughs> then they're never going to get any... You. Then they're yeah. not ever going to get an impact player out of him. Like, basically, his window to, to get to the NHL at, at the right age, at the right experience, is right now to be an impact player. If he doesn't get it right now, he's basically going to be what Graves is, which is just a, a guy you're going to call up for a third pair spot duty. And he's basically a career minor leaguer is what he's going to be. So like the Melange thing is it's its own issue because it's somebody that's a real prospect with real upside. They're not using. If we're just talking about like warm body level you know, what they're doing with Graves is fine. Like, we we complained about this on our other podcast, you know, why are you using Lindholm, you know, at least use Graves. And they did that. So, okay, that's one good thing that they arrived at, that they just couldn't call Lindholm back up again. That They used somebody that could give them something more, and they did it. But this still doesn't solve the whole, like, do they actually think that they can get depth from call-ups, like real depth, not warm body, soak up a few minutes depth is the issue here. Like we've also seen with the forwards, they refuse to play them. They're even being very stingy with drives right now. Even when he started the game with Soderberg and played on more of a quote-unquote real line, he still was under 10 minutes. Like Even they, Gabe Bork they, is under 7. That's the other thing is like, why is he dressing every night if you're only playing him that little like it it gets into the whole like why are they have zero healthy extra players right now yeah so it's, it's, i was about to say he's he's dressing because there's no one else around to dress because the team aren't carrying much in the way of healthy skaters it, and i think yeah. this it seems like a very nitpicky thing it seems like you know what does it matter who plays on the fourth line or what does it matter if you have like some extra call up sitting around? But to me, this is what is feet. We'll get into it later. I won't get into this whole part yet, oh, we but can get into it, it right feeds, now. Let's do it. It feeds into why the team is struggling, why they can't seem to get over the hump right now. So my issue is, like last week when they had no healthy extras, you know, you could think it was because of the roster freeze or the holidays coming up. They're just trying to get through the the stretch of the schedule and this and that. And they were at home. They still have no healthy extras. You listen to Bednar and he gives his update. And he basically says these guys aren't even close. So it's not even a matter of like, oh, we think this guy's possible for the next game. Maybe that's why we don't need an extra. So basically they... They're not expecting these guys at all this week. And they're at home. Well, guess what? The Eagles are not. So so the whole like, oh, we're at home. We don't need extras is completely irrelevant. Because you don't just have guys 40 minutes up the street. They're in Canada right now. So God forbid anybody gets hurt in practice 
or in warm-up or whatever. (laughs) Right, gets the flu because you're basically saying, I'm okay playing without a full lineup. Going into every game that supposedly is the most critical thing on the planet to get the two points, and you're basically saying, it's not important enough to this organization to be prepared. And you're, you're not playing these guys, the guys that you have called up. I mean, you only have, like, Wilson and Kamenev and Zadorov out of your lineup. The guys that you're replacing them with, you're playing them as minimal minutes as possible. The Fords have all played... They played Greer six minutes in the games he played. Then they played Dries five minutes. He only got nine minutes because he was playing with Soderberg yesterday. You're playing Graves ten minutes. And they had Lindholm, he played seven. All played, like, nine so, I mean, are you saying that these players are so unprepared to play for this team? Or is it that you just have absolutely no faith? Or I don't even know what the word is. Just you absolutely cannot trust these people more than just basically to fill a warm body. And, and that's leading... To you losing games like the then the now they refuse to have any extras these guys aren't getting practices they're not getting being around the team they're not getting in meetings you know all these things do have value and i understand they don't want guys to sit around or whatever but i mean you have to operate like an nhl franchise not like the flint firebirds in the ohl who said we have 18 skaters if guys go down too bad and that's that's pretty close to what the abs are at right now so my big problem here is they've obviously shown the desire to want to shake the lineup up by swapping the left wings around um but they don't want to shake the roster up yeah and it's like you know if you don't have anyone different to put in the lineup how much of a different result are you expecting you know, it, it, it goes back to, are, are they expecting everyone just to do the same thing but better? Um, which, you know, we, we hate that philosophy. But the thing is, you know, if you're, pay, if you're playing Bork five and a half minutes per night, which is basically what he's been doing for the last month, that is so replaceable it hurts. Um, you know, why not try Logan O'Connor even? I mean, if you, if you hate Greer, then try O'Connor or try... Cosmichucky, but you know, try something different, right? You know, Why give, are you marrying Greer a real chance? Because <laughs> it, trying to do the same thing but better, it, it's just a it's a logical fallacy. Um, yeah, and they Why just, are you? They're not they're not giving themselves any options personnel wise to do anything just a little bit different. And you know, I I, I think. It, it might not be a huge part of why they're in a slump, but it certainly isn't helping. It's like, why are you marrying yourself to Bork every night? Well, wasn't the whole thing, the spiel earlier about internal competition and this and that? Like, why it's are you not even rolling? Bork? It, it's why are you saying these 12 guys are what's going to get it done for us? You know, come hell or high water, we're going to figure this out with these 12 guys. And no. it just seems silly <laughs> they that they're then. Done gonna go yeah. for outside help and just think that's that's gonna solve it they just drop one guy in and that's gonna do it 
either trade somebody of their forwards or go out and get a rental and it's that's just going to change the whole philosophy the other thing is how do you envision down the road adding say timmons if you can't even trust these guys that have experience been in your system how on earth are you just going to say like hey timmons is going to be in our lineup now and his issues obviously are that he hasn't, he's only played one month of hockey in the entirety of the year 2018. And he's somehow just somehow going to like just be okay and then start playing for the abs. Like, even besides that, even besides like his personal issues, how do you envision seeing an actual prospect that's not on the roster from day one step in? And like become an actual NHL player. How is that even going to happen now? It's the, it's the same conversation that we've had several times for years. It comes down to either the Avalanche have no confidence whatsoever in their pipeline, or they have, or they're correct in that analysis. And I'm not sure which is worse. But uh, I mean, I don't. I just I, I think it's an inertia thing. I, I really just think they hate change so much that they're not willing to make any. <clears throat> I mean it Yeah, I mean, you it, have it to change. do it at some point. If if you're not willing I mean they don't though. <laughs> just, they, made, they swapped around all the left wings and it, it lasted, you know, basically a period and a shift last night. You know, I, if, I think probably from the word go they wanted Dreis on Soderberg's line and they were fine with Nieto on on Comfer and Kerfoot's line and you know, if that's if that's what the goal was, then just sort of say that from from the word go. But uh, if you if you can't do that in December, why are you going to do that at the trade deadline? Why are you going to do that when say McCarr becomes available? <clears throat> like it's all great when we're complaining about Malosh and Greer, who a lot of people have written off. Like maybe they're just not good enough. It's not just about them. It's about everybody. It's about how do you become a competent organization and do the things you're supposed to do, which is to create internal depth? Because you're going to need that. You can't go out and buy away your problems, which they're probably going to try to do this year, and they do every year. And at some point, that's not going to work because you either need to raise the bar or you've used all the assets. So like Earl said, this may not be why the Avalanche are struggling to win games right now, but obviously it's, all, it's it not is. helping. It, it may play a I, role. Um, I, think, I mean, I think the general resistance to change ideas is a lot of it. Yeah, so let's, let's real, real briefly kind of all go around with what we think is wrong with the Avalanche like, team on the ice right now, not necessarily the whole organizational system. And then we'll kind of expand on some of those points after we go all the way around. Um, I, I mean, obviously, the the swapping of the forwards is interesting because I think anyone that's watched the team for the last month has sort of been like, so it's up with the defense here. And, you know, there have been some alarming s- statistics that, that started even before the streak, really, or, or started before the month. Um, that really just started manifesting themselves this month. Um, We've seen shooting percentage gradually decline over the past 25 games. We've seen shots against rise uh, a lot over the last 25 games. 
And, you know, those are things you're like, oh, you know, it's like the guys are unlucky or, you know, that the defense is, is, is a little bit porous or the, the defensemen are playing badly. Um, and, and I'm just not sure that's the case. You know, I, it looks to me like there's something wrong systemically in the defensive zone. I, I've seen several defensemen sort of look at like, you know, what just happened wasn't what I was expecting. And I know it went horribly wrong, but, you know, this isn't how the coach drew it up. <laughs> and it, it just seems like there's a <clears throat> there's a few guys and, and you know, I'll point to Sam Gerard and Eric Johnson is two guys that people are, are very critical of lately but they really seem to be out of sorts in in the way that the you know basically in the way that they're being coached right now okay we'll, and... we'll get to that a little bit more in a in a second I I don't really want to have my own segment here too much because I agree with pretty much every bit of that. Um, this, the, the shots aren't going, and for some reason the shots against are really piling up. Yeah. I there, There's a lot of things that are going going wrong right now. It's really hard for me to, to turn away any theories at this point, except for goaltending and the power play because that's just about all that's working right now. I agree. I would say for me, it's it's overuse and it's consistency. And part of, I think, what Earl's saying, how it, it's just not working, which, you know, the defensive system is a fair question. I think we'll get to that. But it's also the, for, the forwards are part of the defense, too. And I think that's kind of been an area of drop-off lately. And it does... It's like when the forwards aren't defending well, you never really notice that. Like, it, it comes on the defenseman and it comes on the goaltending. But I think the, the forwards' defensive efforts lately haven't been good. And the big one for me is the overuse. Like, what I just talked about, not being able to use any of your depth. How that manifests into today's problem is you have massive overuse of your top players and that like i said earlier and I, I understand in critical situations you're going to use them but we're talking about more than just one game or one period one stretch here it's been the the whole month basically you have eric johnson playing 27 minutes on the first half of back to back like that's just negligent at this point last night barry played 25 minutes mckinnon and rantanen have been playing like 20 23 minutes i think mckinnon's been an 23 minutes several games now and it's just playing them more doesn't get more out of them i would even argue that their effectiveness decreases and it, it is it's like it's a it's a self-fulfilling circle you're you're not winning you're playing these guys more they're burning out you're so you're not winning you just play them even more and i think that's one big issue right now is they don't have any trust or faith in any of the other guys that they have. And the top guys are just, they're getting overused. They're getting burnt out and it, it's leading to losses. Okay. So let's start the in-depth portion of the show. Blah, 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 in-depth with, uh, with this defensive <laughs> chat, because I, th I think it's like the issue and I think it does tie into the shooting percentage problems as well because the avalanche dine out 
on rush chances. They don't necessarily always score off of long possessions, and this is true of everybody, but it's especially true of this team. This is a speed team that works in transition, that works in getting back to score before you can stop them. And uh, if you can't get the puck out of your zone, you can't do that. No. If, you, if you're if you're that... so tired at the end of your shift that you're dumping and chasing, and maybe you get it, maybe you get the puck, maybe you don't. But the the fact that you're having to settle for a dump and change. You don't get those goals. Yeah. I still think um, they get a fair amount of stretch passes. I know Gerard does, still does it a lot. You, you even saw Graves get a few successful stretch passes in the last couple games. And they just don't do anything with them. And I know you're not going to score on every breakaway or every rush chance. But it does seem like... For whatever reason, that's that stuff has become stagnant. I think, I think McKinnon's become increasingly frustrating. And we've talked about it all year, and it's hard to pick on the guy. He has close to sixty points. He's had a successful year, but you just see him out there. And some nights, it just he's turning it over all the time. He's making terrible passes. Not that everyone else has been perfect, but you just see it so much from him. He's. He's skating into the zone. He does nothing with the puck. It's just he won't take it to the net. It, I, I think it's it stems from some of that stuff too. One of the big things I'm seeing is on the breakout that a lot of teams are defending the abs by really loading back into the neutral zone and making it very difficult to either chip or bull rush your way through the neutral zone. And I, I mean, I think obviously you watch tape of the abs from earlier in the season, you're seeing what you just described with lots of rush chances. And, you know, knowing that's probably the number one way the abs are going to beat you, that's the number one thing you have to defend against. And I, I think the abs are really struggling with that. Um, the problem is the way they're countering it is they're moving the forwards back inside of all of that chaos in the neutral zone instead of supporting the defense. And that just makes it easier for the defending team to, to get the puck and turn it right back into the abs zone. And, and I think that's one reason why we're seeing a, a large increase in shots against. Um, it feels like they and, reset too much back in the zone too. Like it's yeah, frustrating they, to see them circle back because you know right. that they're not going to get basically the opportunity's gone. Right. It's like, you know, if you're not taking advantage of that first couple of seconds with possession of the puck in the defensive zone, then you're not going to get the rush chance. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I find it hard to, to watch just because there should be a way to defend that or, you know, to be offensive against that quicker. Um, and I just I, I think what they're going to have to do is draw the forwards back and, and be a little bit more supportive and sort of take it slowly through the neutral zone, enter the offensive zone with possession, and then go from there. You know, a, a lot of what we're seeing now is a long breakout pass and then a dump in, and then puck battle, maybe a shot, and the other team gets the puck. And it's just sort of a lot of one and done. And this is something that we saw a lot don't really want to say it, but two years ago. Um, and, you know, just the, the way they're trying to combat this isn't working. So uh, some of this is on 
the way the defense is coached. Some of this is just on total team philosophy. Um, but I just, I, I really think if they're going to get back on track, it, it's more than just, you know, moving a few left wings around. They're going to have to uh, really look at how they deal with the neutral zone and with the breakout. Um, because it seems like the teams have watched film and, and they've kind of found a magic bullet for uh, the way yeah. that was played earlier in the year. I think that is a good point that uh, other teams adjust to them and you don't want the abs to just completely reinvent the wheel, but then you have to make another counter adjustment to it. And that does seem to be their problem. Like they have a good idea and they, they execute it well, but once teams figure that out, then what's your next move? And that, that also seems to be a problem in the AHL. It seems to be kind of like a, a reoccurring problem for the organization. Yeah. I mean, you know, what thing, like people are saying, you know, that, Sam Gerard is really struggling. And, and I think that one of the biggest reasons that is, is Sam's probably the best controlled zone exit guy on the team. And they're, they're not doing the controlled zone exits as much. Um, you know, they're either going for the home run pass or they're chip and chase. And that's just, you know, that's, that's not Sam's game. <clears throat> and they're not able to take advantage of his skills as much. So that you know that that's a bit of a problem. Well, he but. can still pass very well. It's just a lot of times that it do anything with that. I would well, say I, I, I don't think. I mean, I think they're making it such that they're trying to take away Sam's ability to make an effective pass because whoever he needs to pass to is going to be covered because they're so far away and there's not enough puck support. I think right. a lot of the opinions out there on Sam are like the flashy stuff, like. Is he doing the flashy stuff in this game or not? And if he's not, then it means he's not being effective. Or if he has one mistake, you remember it, you see it, or whatever. But it's like... And then that seems to color, like, the entire game of his. Like, oh, he just had... He fumbled the puck here once, and he can't handle the puck anymore. And it's like... Anecdotal memories are terrible. Yeah, and (laughs) it's like, you just didn't see the the six great plays that he started the game with but I will say that with the defense breaking down and then and not being as structured could say or not being as as Benner likes to say like predictable to ourselves I think that is hurting him a bit in how effective he can be and in, in his coverage I'm not gonna say that he's been as good as he was even at the beginning of the year but I think to say that he is struggling is a bit much I would say the defense is struggling and he's part of that is fair, but But I think he he and EJ are struggling the most. He and EJ are struggling the most. I mean, you can add Cole in there for different reasons, but I think the the big reason I could say as a pair, is that, is that more EJ? Uh, I don't think so, honestly. I, I think one reason EJ is struggling, and, and Sam is too, is because what they do well is what is what the opponents are trying to defend against. Like, um, you know, Sam's very good at passing it out of the zone. He can skate it too, but you know, he's dangerous because he can do both. EJ is very good at skating the puck out of the zone, and he's not a very good passer out of the zone, obviously. But um, you know, they're 
they're really trying to stack up the blue line against these guys, and it just makes it hard for those two, especially because they are the ones that are most likely to be able to skate the puck up, you know, past the blue line. And, you know, I think that affects guys like Cole and Nemeth a little less just because they're going to chip it no matter what. And, you know, sort of the chip and puck battle is, is you know, that that's basically what they've been doing for the last month. And that's, you know, I mean, you can win that game, but it's really tough. Um but yeah. they, they need to find a way to allow Sam and, and EJ to be able to use their skills like they were earlier in the year. Yeah, the the the, the defense is always going to be there, and every team has to put up with an opponent trying to defend against them. And at, at some point, you just have to beat the other team, and I th- those things are all definitely true. But also, at some point, Rock just smashes scissors, and you have to try a different approach. Yeah. And yeah, I wouldn't mind changing the pairs. I just don't want it to be the answer to be, okay, well, then Gerard just plays with Nemeth, whatever. Yeah, I don't think they have to change the pairs. I think they have to change their tactics. That Exactly. I don't, I don't agree necessarily that EJ and Sam's struggles are equivalent. I think EJ has had his own individual trouble alongside the systemic issues. And that's where I think a lot of those disaster shifts from that pair have come in is... Especially just like when they're trying to find a way to get the puck out, you see Eric Johnson just kind of chasing a lot lately. Like, where are you going? Well, I mean, and that's sort of the the second part of their defensive tactics that aren't really working at all, or let's call it the second of third, is the way they've they've sort of collapsed the defense down a lot. And we saw this with Dave Farish in the last year that he was, you know, a real coach for the Avs, and it, you know, it was a disaster. Um, you know that that's not what the Avs are built on, as far as you know, a defensive core. They they're an aggressive defensive team, and they need to be aggressive in the defensive zone <clears throat> to force turnovers and stuff. They're not very good when they statically set up and you know are, are fine with the other team shooting away from you know let's say less quality areas, but you know shooting nonetheless. And and the third area is obviously the Royal Road or or seam passes that are just. Ugh. Those two There's issues, like, I think, are the same thing. Because if you're collapsing so yeah. much, then the seam pass is just open for business. Because you can't eat your stick on every single one. And you're right. especially seeing this... I'm about to start having a coughing fit here, sorry. You especially <laughs> see this on the penalty kill, is where it's the the biggest yeah. problem. I was yep. going to say that. I mean, how many times have we seen Cole out there on a, on a penalty kill goal against... and? It's not just him. It is yeah, the it's not. <laughs> it's just, it, but it, the same things keep happening. You, you see it all collapse down, Cole's out there, and they let in a goal. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Kane to Debrinkit goal on the, on the penalty kill last night was, you know, that, that, that was in a nutshell what has been going wrong for the last month. What's, um, what's funny is that you bring that goal up because they got the exact same chance later in the game and Varley made the save, but it was five right. on five! Yeah, and Varley made, I, I lost count, but I, I mean, I think he made three or four awesome saves on seam passes. And, you know, I was just thinking at the time, like, Grubauer might have made two of those, you know, if he was really lucky three. But it's like, I could have easily seen that game be five to two um, if, if Grubauer was in net. 
And we wouldn't have had oh. a thing to say about Grubauer in that situation. We'd have been like, yeah, it'd be nice to get a save now and again, Grubauer, come on. But you cannot allow these chances. Right. And it's, you know, we, we said this a, a bunch of times this year, but last year they had a much more vertical penalty kill and to a, a lesser extent, just plain old 5v5 defense in the defensive zone um, that, that was really structured to stop the seam pass. And they were very effective at it. And now that they've sort of pulled the guys back and they're guarding both posts and one guy in front, you're really leaving two guys to defend everything else or one guy if it's a penalty kill. And that that's just, it's not enough pressure by that one or two guys. And the guys that are collapsed down, they're not able to retrieve the puck or, or put a lot of pressure on what the opponent's doing. And it's just, you know, I hate this tactic. And I just, I don't think you can be married to it for much longer. You know, there's obviously something that they saw that they wanted, you know, to, to do this strategy. And either the personnel aren't cool with it, or it just, it's a bad strategy in general. But, you know, they've really got to think about opening it back up and, and trying to use their speed more in the defensive zone rather than try to set up and, and you know just, just be a wedge out there. And that one guy who's doing all the defending up top on the penalty kill is very often Gabe Bork, who we complain about because he isn't quite quick enough to get between, you know, the, the two, the two I don't, you don't want to call them defenders on the power play, but the two blue liners back there. And right. he's just, you see him chopping a lot and stopping and starting a lot and you're doing a ton of work that accomplishes uh, fuck all, frankly. I know. He's, I mean, he's a rodeo clown out there, really. Um, and that's not his just... fault. Like he's, it's obviously the way the penalty kill system is designed and it's an abbreviated right. version of what they're now doing five on five and it's not working. Yeah. And it's clear to see why because the other team can just pass around it and take shots until one doinks in off of somebody. And, and it's tough because in the Vegas game and the two games before that, they were actually decent on the penalty kill. I don't think they'd let in a goal in three games before last night, but it's just the Hawks are really good at that seam pass. And, you know, it, they were just, you know, the, the Avs PK was no match for, for Patrick Kane passing it across like that. No, well, they and had a good penalty I... kill against Chicago the first time. Like, they, they actually came out and played vertically a, a, in the penalty kill against Chicago the first time they played them. Yeah. That, that's one reason why I felt like it was the right call to start Varley. He has his career best numbers against Chicago, and he's good at stopping those kind of shots. Yeah. Yeah, people wanted to see Grubauer get another start on Saturday against Chicago, and it, it doesn't matter which goaltender starts that game. It really doesn't. For one, if you only no, if you only score, you know, when you have a man advantage, then you're in trouble anyway. But like, you can't be even if one goalie's playing better than the other. You need both of these goaltenders going, and you can't be afraid to start either. That's that's not going to work. Oh sure, I agree with that. But I I think Varley could have gotten them that point. Yeah, he did all he could to. <laughs> Um, and while we're on the topic of goaltenders for the Avalanche, um, let's also mention the, that uh, we saw the be beginning of Pavel Francouz on uh, whatever day that was the before Christmas when they played in Friday? Arizona. 
Um, yeah, I don't remember. Friday, I think Saturday. It was Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And he came in and really steadied a des- like a game that was just caterwheel cat cartwheeling out of control, and uh, then lets in a goofy floater like uh not like this. But uh, that was an interesting comeback that he almost got the win out of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he probably would have won that game if they had started him, but probably. Um, you know, start, starting a guy three games out of four in four nights probably probably not the right call. Um, but you know, I, I think Francis proved that you know if they need him, he's there and he's he could be effective at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean Varlamov's sick and Francis is your third goaltender. I get it, um, but like with with no NHL experience whatsoever, I get doing Grubauer back to back in that scenario. But meh. Wait. You're, you're going to need him at some point. Like, you're going to have... A, there's going to be a scenario later in the season when it's more critical. You're going to have to use your third goaltender. So if you're scared to use him in December against a weaker team, and especially a weak offense, then th- that kind of shows a lot of the same problems we've been talking about. He's also not a kid. Like, this isn't some... 21 yeah, he year the old Olympics last year so right the guy yeah the guy started in the Olympics he's played in the KHL playoffs like you can use him against Arizona <laughs> yeah well I mean it you know the, the good thing is now they know yeah hopefully, and hopefully that this... leads to better decisions as lo- yeah. As, yeah as long as he doesn't face any more random Brad Richardson weak wristers from the blue line <laughs> three in Cole's legs um yeah but i mean that was cool to see just because from you know from what we've seen in the ahl it's it's always tough to project a goalie from you know a a lower league like that but i was pretty sure that they could install him and do pretty well and and he did even better than i thought he would yeah on the other end the avalanche are facing dominic hoshik every night and uh (laughs) that's another big part of the issue like they're getting plenty of shots that are just being saved and it's yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm not worried about the offense. Like, and I know secondary scoring, the second line is a big hot button, but it's it's not really the offense. I mean, obviously if they had more goals in these games; they would have won. I would like <laughs> to see some situational scoring, <laughs> but you definitely win more when you have more goals. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Apart from like the the defensive issues and not being able to break out successfully, like that that will translate into more offense. But as far as the offense itself goes, I mean, against Chicago Part One, they hit four posts. What do you want? Yeah, they did have a lot of chances last night. They they should have been able to put the game away. Yeah, but this this Delia dude has uh, he's got some saves in him. He takes up the whole net, which helps, but he's got some saves in him. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, I don't think it's worth it to try and break down why quality hasn't been quite as good, or you know, if quality is a factor and why the shooting percentage has gone down. Um, no, not o- not over a month's worth of games. That's that's not <clears throat> no. Right. I just you know I I don't know why that you know the the shooting percentage is tanked. Um. You know that there there's some, you know there's some personnel issues that that sort of coincide with the, some of this sort of tending towards high volume, high event, 
low quality or you know lo low conversion um you know it's like comfort you know i love comfort but it's his minutes have skyrocketed and they you know it's like the graph it goes right you know it, it mirrors the shooting percentage graph and you wonder about that um you know, like Sam's time on ice is is kind of gone down a lot, and, and so so did Zadorov's before um, he was injured. While Cole and Barry's has gone way up, and so I don't think just, that's help. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like obviously Jost being, you know, a disappointment. Let's say um, that's not helping. His time on ice is is gone way down. Um, you know, it, it th there are a lot of things that you can sort of look at and say these things are are correlating, but what the hell is causing it? Yeah, let's let's wonder about Tyson Jost because this is a guy who's you know he's got over a hundred NHL games now, but he's still a young player by by any other standard, um, and he's just not really accomplishing much right now. So like. I, I guess the question comes down to what can Bednar do with Tyson Jost and what should he do with him? I think flat out the best thing that he could do is is put him on put him in Dreis's spot with Carl. Um, you know, Daria and I were, were sort of discussing discussing this in the in the Discord last night, but if you're a guy like Jost who's twenty years old and struggling and all you're basically being asked to do is is be a, a scorer, and you're not scoring. That really messes with your confidence. So I I think that if he had something to fall back on, like being a, a little more defensively relied upon, um, like he would be if, if he was used in Carl's role. You know, I think that's something that would give him a lot of confidence. And I, you know, I really think confidence is sort of why. He, his offense is tanked. And, and you could probably say that for a lot of the team, you know, it's like, for, you know, I'm, I'm basically saying if you fix the defense, then the offense is going to be a okay with this team. And it, but I, I think that goes further with Jost. Um, you know, I, I really think that, that, that the staff need to show a little trust in him and allow him to learn the defensive trade next to the guy that they've anointed their defensive star. And, you know, let him learn that role and say, just, you know, don't worry about the points for now. It's like, we want you to be defensively responsible. We'll give you a PK shift here and there. And, you know, you can contribute that way. And, you know, when your offense comes around, you know, that'll be great too. Yeah, I, I do really like that idea. And I, I think it's back to one of my points is like the, these guys need roles. You can't just. Yeah, just basically put them all together and say, score some points. Like, you, you need to have a vision and kind of a plan for these guys. And and I agree, if you gave Jost a specific role, something that he could take ownership of, I think he is a smart enough, talented enough kid where things would come around. I Because when he is effective, I think he does make the team better. And I would you you would say that for everybody, but it's it's like he hasn't scored in a while, so definitely the effectiveness has waned. But I think they are a better team with him. Like they notice it when he's not in the lineup, 
And you would say right now he's not doing anything, so you wouldn't notice when he's missing. But yeah, give him give him a role. Use his his strengths because he can be a good defensive player. Use his strengths in a different way. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I last don't... night's game and it, 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 it was just horrifying that every time he touched the puck, he turned it over. It just it, he's got no confidence. That's why and... I just don't like that second line. It's just it's not even a scoring line. It's a nothing. It's like. The second and the fourth lines are the lines you just put the players in. There's just no identity. There's no direction. There's, it's just. I, th- I mean, I think the Kerfoot Comfort line does fine out there. I mean, it, you know, they're not converting just like everyone else, but I think they're, you know, they're an effective line. Th- that line well, tries because... to do something. The difference that that's the difference between the second and the fourth. Like the second is tr- yeah. is trying to put together a line that does something. The fourth is just misfit toys. Well, and then you look at the Vegas game, and when they had drives between Kerfoot and Bork, I mean, that was the Avs' best line for their first period. You know, obviously that's not going to happen for whole games over a 10-game stretch, but, you know, it's like if they can go out and create a little chaos and forecheck and, and put in, you know, three or four shifts a period like that, you know, that's, that's great. Um you know, that's why I think that you know if, if you did go with Sven Dreyson and, and Bork, if that's you know if you refuse to call anyone up or do anything else, you, know, you <laughs> could live with that. You know, and, and then put Jost with Carl and and you know have that and Nieto up on the the Kerfoot Comfer line. You know, make that your your sort of big line switches and keep the top guys together. I mean, I just honestly think if you're going to do everything but better, that's probably the best way to do everything but better. And if your biggest issue, like if you see a big issue among the forwards right now of just not being able to get get goals together, breaking up the best line in the National Hockey League for two plus months may not be your answer. Right. And I know Matt came off as arrogant saying we were doing our job. I don't know what the problem was, but I mean, he's right. Um, You know, those guys are still scoring. I mean, you know, they're counted on for a little more than they have been producing lately. But, you know, it's like they're not really the a big part of the problem. You look at last night's game. I mean, Miko looked great. I mean, Mac was, he was stubborn as usual, but I mean, he was producing. And once they put gay back there, I mean, I, I really didn't have much of a problem with how they played. Yeah. <clears throat> you could also say they didn't do anything five on five, which has I mean, been they a little did, bit I mean, a, They didn't score, shots but count, they produced. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they produced lots of shots. I mean, you know, that's a, that's all you can ask. If they're not falling, I mean, you just tip your hat to the goalie. Well, I thought his comment was interesting for a different reason. I mean, no, break it. The top line is not the issue. So you're breaking it up because you're trying to help the other lines. But I thought the part of his comment was interesting when he said, you know, we're doing our job. What else do you want us to do? And it was about breaking up the top line. So it wasn't wasn't quite in the arrogant context of like losing the game but i did kind of find it funny that he sees it that way because there is a lot more i think that they could be doing especially him in playing better and i think if he's just thinking hey we're still at a point per game we're doing our job i think that is a big part of the problem because they are the leaders and if they feel like it's just a matter of a shooting percentage thing. The shots just aren't going in. It's just basically luck or bad luck at this point. 
I think I mean, that their is job, their job is to score and to, to produce offense. I mean, I, I mean, what, what else should more. they be doing then? I think McKinnon could be playing a lot better. I mean, that's great that he's still generating shots, but if that's basically all, all you're asking him to do, that is kind of the root of the problem of the team. I mean, he needs to play better. He hasn't played great all season. And it's funny that the, the obviously he's been one of the best producers in the league. I think he's gotten a bit lucky that he's been with Nico having maybe the best year of his career and falling back on natural talent because I, I think he could play a lot better and I think he could give a lot more. And I don't even mean production-wise. I think he could add a lot more to the team. Such as? Yeah, that's, I mean, I agree that... Um, you know, just leading the way, doing the right thing, not playing frustrated, not playing angry, not playing emotional, be taking better care in the neutral zone, um, helping other players be better, creating plays for them, not just waiting for a pass and shooting the puck. But the thing is, by any metric you want to look at, they're effective. So Sure, because they're exceptionally talented. The, I'm saying the production's not a problem. Let's, we're but, saying that the production playing, is playing their role. Well I mean, I mean, the only thing left is for him to go down on other lines and to help those lines be better too. Which he gets asked and, to do pretty regularly, because we can only play Gabe to... Bork for five minutes for some reason. Sure, right. he gets and, double shifted, but I mean, it's not like he's playing with Carl all the time. But <laughs> being a good player is more than just hey, I took care of my business. I got my eight shot attempts tonight. There's a lot more that he could be doing better. Sure, and and but even that, when that statement is true, that still doesn't mean that you should say it. Like you, you can't be the asshole yeah. in, in your League <laughs> of Legends game saying I won my lane after you get stopped. Right. Like you, you just can't be that person. Right, and right. I say I think That's in his little comment come. there, and I don't think he meant it that way, but he said it, and I think it is kind of a window into what this team's problem is. Yeah, he, he's an emotional guy, and he's always and he's been someone who's always wanted to be the best. So, I mean, when, when he gets frustrated with, with the results, that's what's going to come out. It is what it is. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Landy was a lot more diplomatic about it, but, I you know, you can almost tell he was thinking about the same thing. I mean, they um, should have asked him about his idiotic penalty that basically cost them the game. They, they should have had to. They shouldn't have not, had to. <laughs> not about the line change. I mean, the line change, I don't even care. Like, we've we already been through it. it it's not going to stick. It's not a real change until they do certain other things. I get it. It was an easy storyline for the media. It was... Uh, <laughs> it gives them an easy talking point for a couple games, but it really, it really is irrelevant. I, I understand the annoyance with that, but it's like... Sorry. You're the captain. <laughs> You're the captain, and you put the team at a massive disadvantage that cost them a game just by being careless with your stick. If you're not going to come out in post game interviews as the captain and say, "Look, I threw that game by. I make a dumb mistake. I've got to be better than that." Then what are the post game interviews even for? What's the point? Why are we here? Yeah, I know. And and I don't even need 
say that. I don't need him to do the Ryan O'Reilly. It starts with me. Blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> just be honest. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying he should do. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I he think should... he was pretty honest when he said he didn't want to talk about the line change anymore. Well, okay. I mean, that, that part was appreciated. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't need the cliche either. Like, it's my fault. Blah blah blah. But I mean, yeah, let's. It's just funny to have him out there talking, and it's like. Hello. <laughs> you, you fucked up, bud. Like, own it. Like, <laughs> no, that's not why you lost, but it's what caused the losing play in the game, so... Yeah. I mean, they're lucky they didn't get scored on the 5-on-3. The right? That could have lost in the game, yeah. too. Which the yeah. whole Dan was like, oh, we're gonna point back to this and say it was Landeskog's fault. <laughs> I mean, that that's absurd. Yeah. No, the, but... the whole game isn't Landeskog's fault, but obviously the losing situation comes down to him, and that's where you gotta say, I gotta be better than that. Right. If he's gonna if he's gonna say they lost one point because of Landeskog, then Dater needs to admit they won one point because of Barlamov. Which he'll never do because unless the team wins, the goalie wasn't good enough. That's Pretty right. Much. Um. So that was about an hour and ten minutes of pure negativity. <laughs> Let's find some positives over the last couple of weeks and award a few stars of the week, of the two weeks. Okay, That's tough. it is tough. <laughs> they they won one out of six games. That's not easy. Um, although I, I think the easy option is Philip Grubauer, who has had a nice couple of weeks and really done a good job of threatening the starting position when he had an opportunity. I'll agree. Um, you know, because obviously early in the year you're just kind of like, uh, so this is our starting goalie next year. Uh oh. So. Uh, you know, it, there's there's still some. He's you know, been better. Some... I still saw <laughs> the. I don't think yeah, I feel just totally like, oh, okay, he's the starter forever. That's great. But yeah, I mean, there's still should... a bunch of ground to make up between he and Varley. Yeah, but between him, Varley, and Francis, they all had good moments in the last six games. So I'm willing, I'm willing to say that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I had to give a star, it'd be to Francis, um, just because, you know, waking up in Loveland and being say, oh, Varley's sick, you got to get to Phoenix like five minutes ago, <laughs> <clears throat> dropping into a game and then suddenly, okay, you're getting put in halfway through the game and you're down 4-1, four, four don't, don't mess this up. And it's just, you know, I... I it, it's tough for him that they actually came back and tied it, and then he ended up, you know, letting in the losing goal, um, just because you know that that's that's a, a bullshit loss of all bullshit losses. Um, but you know, he had a save percentage that was awesome. He played very well, and you know, yeah, he saw twenty shots for for anyone that didn't know. Just thought he got twenty one out of twenty two, I think. Yeah, and and apart from the one that counted, he looked good. Yeah. It wasn't the Red O'Bara style, oh, I'm scrambling but making all the saves. Like, he, he looked good. Yeah. I'll give my... I think Miko still deserves it, even though he doesn't have the league lead, but he still has 61 points. And I think... I don't think anybody had an A-plus superstar week or two weeks, if you want to call it that, but I think... 
on balance, he's still been one of the better players. Yeah, if no Mark Reichroth, that way. A plus 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 pluses. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to touch scratches, or do we want to say the rest of the show with scratches and move on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the defense is scratched, the offense is scratched, the coaching staff is scratched. I'm good with that. Goaltending yeah. our stars one, two, and three. Yeah. Varlamov specifically yesterday. Yep. And, and yep. Grubauer and Francis. So there's other hockey in the world other than just the NHL. Um, what else is going on in the international world right now? I hear there's some kids playing some some important games or something. Y'all been watching World Junior? You, right? Yes. You, you want me to take this? All right. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> it's World Juniors, obviously. That's what we are referring to. Um, we have four uh, Avis prospects that made it, which is... Martin Kaut for Czech Republic, Shane Bowers for Canada, two Russians, which is probably maybe the bigger surprise, was Nikolai Kovalenko and Daniela Shravlyov. And um, they've all played pretty well. They've all played about three games. Um, Kaut was the star of the first game for the Czech Republic. Um, Czechs have only scored four goals, and he's been involved in two of them including one in overtime, so... Um, four I think goals? He's looked, yeah, four Dude, goals. That's and, not good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. <clears throat> yeah. They're kind of experiencing the problem of... It sounds great on paper having Zadina and Nekash and Kout together, but it, it's tough to go from playing pro in the AHL to going back and playing juniors. There's a certain level of physicality you can't get away with playing juniors, and I think it's it is a lot of pressure because you're the top guys and you're supposed to basically be lighting it up against the kids, and it doesn't really happen that way. But I think overall, um, it's been a good showing for Kout, and we'll we'll see how it goes from here for him. Um, Bowers is playing more of a defensive role. But he's doing that well. He does have two assists, I believe. Um, Canada's undefeated, so right now they're looking like they're the favorites to win. But there's always kind of that scare game that I think they're going to have to get through to see if they can really go all the way. Are they through with group play yet? No. They'll be done on Monday. And then the semi or the quarterfinals will be on Wednesday. And then they'll be done by the next. By the end of the next weekend. Um, Bowers started as the fourth line center. And um, it's been kind of upgraded to maybe the second slash third line left wing. They've shuffled things a bit. So I think um, he's getting a lot of the coaches trust there. And that makes Earl very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. The Russians is probably the most interesting because you always never quite know what they're up to. And they actually kept Zaravlyov and they, they're playing him like first, second pair. And he's playing a very steady defensive role, which is really interesting because he's he was kind of like a Barry type player last year. And he's kind of gone through this defensive transformation, but... 
he's a young player. He's 18, so he can even play next year. And they're leaning on him pretty heavily defensively, so that's cool. And then Kovalenko's our little star, my favorite, the little tank. And he was... (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't say those words. I know. (laughs) But in a good way. Um, He was the player of the game for when the last game Russia played, when they beat the Czech Republic. He scored the game-winning goal in shorthanded and in this nice. like dramatic fashion, crashed into the boards, like almost killed himself. <laughs> Came back later in the game and was like, they use him a lot in the penalty kill. He's like a great four checker. Bednar would love him, all this and that. But it was neat to see him have his moment because I love his game, but nobody's really been able to see it. And it's like, there it is. That's, that's the Kovalenko that I love right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he's okay. I haven't seen the, the lineup for Russia today, but if that was it for him, he went out in a blaze of glory. <laughs> so those are my impressions, Earl. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, I've been impressed with all four of our guys. I mean, you know, Bowers was a guy that a lot of people didn't think were, was going to even make Team Canada. Um, and, you know, I, I think his sort of defensive acumen is what got him on the roster and, and started in the first game on as a fourth line center, but you know, they played him a lot in that game, at least early. And then, you know, he, he moved up the lineup to where he is now and he's a wing instead of a center now, but I, you know, I, I, I've seen him playing a lot of F3 as a wing. So it looks like he's definitely earned the coach's trust and, you know, he, he's on a fun line with some scoring now. So it, I, I think that could really, you know, I, I think once we get into the elimination rounds, that's it's really going to showcase him a lot, and he's going to be more confident. Um, I've, I've liked Cout's game more or less. Uh, what I really liked is the coach is using him a lot differently than than Coach Cronin does down in Loveland. It's um, definitely an eye opener. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it. You know, he kills penalties there, and obviously, you know, it's like you know, you're not going to do that in the AHL at his age, you know, right off the bat. But it's something we've been looking for. But at least it shows the staff there that, you know, he can do that. He has the, you know, he, he's comfortable doing that. Um, but what I've really liked is sort of seeing him play offensively in the bottom half of the zone instead of on the perimeter or on the point, like he does a lot in Loveland. And, and again, hopefully the staff are looking at that and sort of thinking of, of different ways to use him and, and maybe create some more scoring, which they could badly need. Um I like both the Russian guys, and, and you know, I, I know you love Kovey, but I, I think anyone that watches him is going to fall in love with him, too. He, he's like a comfort that could kill you. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just, you know, he's a little ball of hate out there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's physical, and, and the forecheck is amazing, but, you know, it's like he can still put the puck in the net. And... You know, I, I think that's something that, you know, I, I think you're right on about Bednar watching that game and just smiling a ton of smiles about it. Would um, he or would and he really, not play the guy? I don't know. He, <laughs> yeah, he would I mean, love this. Yeah. <laughs> he and, would love this guy. In combination with, I mean, I get it, like the, all the complaints we make, but if, yeah, if they wouldn't play this kid, especially, yeah. they probably need to make a few promises to get him over, but. 
you just hear Bednar in like the back of my mind when I watch him, like first on pucks, puck pursuit. You, you just yeah. hear it. You can just hear Bednar. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, I mean, I, I, video. It's, it's an exaggeration, but he could come in and take Gabe Bork's job right now. I think and... he could play in the NHL next year. Yeah. If they wanted him to, I think he could. Well, let's because he played. And, and and another guy I've been really impressed with is Zhiravlov and. You know, he was a guy I just, I, you know, at the beginning of the season, I really didn't think he had any chance of making the Russian team. I mean, they, they really don't like 18-year-olds. And, you know, they, they generally try to bring a complete 19-year-old roster. And he's not only made the team, but, you know, he, he is one of the guys that they really rely on a lot. And, you know, I, I never saw him as the Barry guy that he was before he got drafted. But, um. You know, he's just, he's a very solid, steady defender. He's not small at all. I mean, he's not real physical, but he can take a hit and he can give a hit when need be. Um, but he's definitely a guy that, that, that's that got a multifaceted game and that you sort of see him like, you know, th- this is a guy that could do a lot of things for you. And, you know, he, he's not going to come up and be a, a scoring star. But, but he could be, you know, just a an all-around very effective defenseman. And, you know, I, I really hope that the Avs are looking at him as, as a guy that they could bring over to North America next year. Because um, I, I think just watching the Subway Series and these games, you know, his game really works well on small ice. And, you know, if, if, he, if the NHL really is something that he wants to do, I, I think playing in the AHL starting next year would be a great way to, to do that. I think so too. Like, I'm more fine with Co- if Kovalenko doesn't come over for a couple years. I think his his situation yeah. is fine for the type of player he is. But Zaravlyov, I do think needs to play on smaller ice and needs to because I do worry that that he will stagnate if he stays over there. Like, I like that he's that dependable defender now, but he does have the offensive gifts, which is good because he still has him. He still has the shot. He can run a power play. I know they'll probably never see it in this tournament, but he still has those, and I hope he doesn't completely lose them because he's he's not a guy that will bring no offense. But who yeah, knows I mean, if I, I think if he's going to be any kind of a scorer at you know the, the AHL or NHL level, he he really needs to get over as soon as possible and learn how to do it on small ice rather than sort of the the European uh, perimeter style. And what but would be, been fun. Well, yeah, what would yeah. be an international competition without a little bit of nationalistic fervor? Um, how's, <laughs> how, how good are the USA's chances? I think they just lost to Sweden last night, right? They did. Yes. They, but Sweden they never back. loses in the prelims. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yeah, the US came back and tied. It went to overtime. Um, they're up there, I think. Um, they'll probably be in the medal round. I'm sure. I I don't particularly like the U.S. team, so I know that's terrible of me as an American, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, depends how much you buy into the Hughes hype. Jack Hughes has been injured for the last two games because he gets laid out pretty much every game. So, but they keep saying he'll be back. Probably be back to have like some hero goal in the semifinals or something, and then get laid out again. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, coming up this week, the Avs are back on Monday, probably tonight, as you listen to the show, to kick off a fully at-home week with a 6 o'clock Mountain home start against the Kings, because it's New Year's Eve, and we would not want to interfere with your vodka plans. Then on Wednesday, it's a 7.30 Mountain start against the Sharks, which is, unfortunately, a national game on NBC Sports. Sorry. Oh, boy. Just a messenger. Then on Friday, the Avs close out the week at 7 Mountain against the stupid Rangers. That's right. They get the weekend off before heading out for a five-game zigzagging road trip back and forth across Canada. How many points do they get this week, and how long does it take to score an even strength goal? <laughs> Oof. So how many we? How many games are we saying this week? I can't. Three. It, the holidays have really messed up my concept of like the beginning and the end of the week. <laughs> Three. Yeah, Kings, um, Sharks, Rangers. We'll say three. Three points? <laughs> yeah. I'll say four. It, it's going to be a lot to ask them to beat a, a team like San Jose this week, but... They better, because you know, I'll be there. <laughs> I think they can take the Kings, even though the Kings have sort of... Hello. Do we lose our own? Yeah. I'll let him redo his... His time here. I, th- I think if the Avs win or lose one game this week, it'll be against San Jose just because hockey is stupid and that's the way it goes. Um, <laughs> Hello? Hey, he's back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what, um, what, why, you're about to hate on the Kings, right? Okay. Um, yeah, the Kings are, they've warmed a little bit lately, but they're still obviously not a very good team. And, I I like the fact that they they had a practice today when that's sort of this is this is one of the days when you'd sort of look at the Avs and say oh they're not going to practice today but they were back at it at 11 a.m. so I, I think they're pretty serious about getting some changes done whatever that may be um I think they'll beat the Rangers in a retribution game but I you know the Sharks I don't think so four points. They probably just give them New Year's Day off. That's what they're thinking. But we'll <laughs> yeah, see. Why not? <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea, frankly. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe do video sessions on New Year's. Um, like like I said, I think if they win or lose one game this week, that'll be Wednesday against the Sharks. I think it's more likely they get the four points. Um, but to do so, they've got to score some goals. <laughs> Please, God. Um, I think I'm, they'll get one point against the Kings, beat the Sharks, and then lose to the Rangers. I, I think guess. it will take them two periods to get an even strength goal this week. <laughs> um, I'm going to say I'll, I'll, two minutes. I'll, I'll two be optimistic. Minutes. I'll say they'll score an even strength goal against the Kings in the first period. I think it'll take till the second. <laughs> I'm sticking with two minutes. Well, however long it takes to get that even strength goal, um, you know, you can find out here. <laughs> You know, Thanks, check, Mike. You know, I check out the Burgundy Radio show on SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. Um, we post it on BurgundyRainbow.com. We are posted on any RSS catcher you can think of, podcatcher pod and iTunes and all that fun stuff. Um, so a, a nice all-at-home week this week, although one of those games is probably going to involve Pierre talking about how much fun the Pepsi Center is now, and we'll just deal with it. We'll stop talking eventually, I promise. We're head up to the dirty areas, and we'll see you all next week.
I, I heard Pierre on the radio the other day talking about how long it takes to get from the Pepsi Center to the airport. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not wrong. It is in Wyoming. <laughs> but it's not unique. I mean, Glendale is not close. From what I understand, Ottawa is not. I don't think Ottawa is close to anything. No. And Winnipeg <laughs> doesn't even have an airport. Right. I know. It's it's just, a, I don't know. It's just a weird thing that you would like go on the radio and discuss. I to me is. Well, he's saying the reason that the Habs might be slow in like they had a back to back, obviously with Phoenix the next day. So they said the travel issues with getting from Pepsi Center to the oh, airport I mean, was one reason they would not be as rested. Wanking motion. That's yeah, it's, yeah, it's total Pierre stuff. <laughs> Like you get on a bus, I'm I'm sure just the traffic that's worse in L.A. and New York is like makes your yeah, ride even to longer. Laguardia from anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know. They probably go to Newark, which I think they do. Yeah, which you're just going through a tunnel and dealing with a maze of roadways. But in conclusion, um, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, your travel issues. I mean, give me a break. Not the fact that Denver isn't particularly close to any other city in the National Hockey League. It's the transit to the airport. Well, it's like you don't get a shorter flight than Denver to Phoenix as far as, you know, where you could be flying to your next game. Yeah. But Denver's just not close to anything, except maybe no, Vegas. No, it's not. And even that's over mountains. Yeah. I think the Vegas flight is actually pretty short. I was looking at it. It's only like... Less than yeah, an hour and a half for them. That's pretty short. Yeah, kid. We know yeah. that because Vlad made it randomly. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, Vegas and Phoenix are probably about the same distance away from Denver. Probably. Yeah. But boy, that airport, that's a. Uh... Yeah, I mean, it, it tra- logistical woes. I mean. That's, that's some adversity right there. You got you to gotta sit on the <laughs> bus for an extra 15 minutes. Holy crap. Well, right, I mean, all right, exactly. like when you were, like, in the old days, like, if you played at McNichols and then had to go to Stapleton, it's like 10 minutes. Sure, I'm sure there are some of those, but, like, there yeah. was, when they came in, there wasn't weather, like, the traffic, okay, like, every city has traffic, but, I mean, let's, let's be real, it's not. <laughs> Denver's not that bad, but, I mean, it's not like they're taking their hockey bags down to Union Station and hopping on the train to go to the airport. Like, give me a break. Which right, would be like cool. He... That would be cool. <laughs> Maybe on the bus, ten minutes longer? Yeah, it's just, what a travel hardship. Mm-hmm. What, then what about their poor travel hardship? They have to drive to the airport every time they go on a road trip. <laughs> you know, if he talked less, Pierre would be Pierre McShire. <laughs> 